You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Roets. I'm joined this evening, th- uh, 6.30 on Sunday afternoon, by John Townley. John, you've both been, you've been uh, to the game this afternoon like I have at Villa Park. Both just got home uh, and a nice, happy, lovely afternoon at Villa Park for the first time in what feels like a long, long time. I'm sure everyone feels that kind of select, that collective sigh of uh, a lack of pressure from the whole Gerard out situation, all that kind of negativity drifting away. Um, so to go to Villa Park in a nice atmosphere and get a, a, a great performance and, and a win, which we'll talk about in more detail throughout the show, it's just a nice feeling, isn't it? Four 0 mate. Four. We haven't, we haven't had that this season anyway. We haven't been able to sit at Villa Park comfortable, have we? Mm-hmm. For how many months? And we don't get that much as Villa fans anyway, but it's nice, as you mentioned, because we've had so much pressure, because we've had such a negative couple of weeks, couple of months. It's nice to finally sort of see the other side of that. And it might not last forever, yeah. but just on Sunday afternoon. Just yeah, for tonight. It'd be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we've talked, we've talked how many times in the few week, last few weeks about, you know, if Villa go 1-0 down, you kind of go, well, the best we'll do here is a draw. The best we'll do is a 1-0 and that kind of horrible feeling of knowing that we won't get anything out of this. Whereas today, the flip side of that, game, game's over after 14 minutes. Yeah, up after 14 <laughs> minutes. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I wasn't saying it was game over after four, even after three 0 to be honest, because you're right. Let's just get to half time. I was texting you when I was like, <laughs> if we can finish the second half, well, you know, we'll be okay. But um, no, brilliant. Just you know, obviously we'll get on to it. But the four goals is obviously brilliant. The clean sheet as well. But I was more impressed about how we sort of, as I say, managed the game. How well organised we were. We're playing against the Brentford team. That that's their, you know, that, that's their thing. They don't have. Um, you know, a star-studded squad apart from probably Ivan Tony and obviously the Al Eriksson last year. But that team, you know, a lot of those have been championship players for most of their careers and not Premier League players. So, you know, if you're going to have to be Brentford, you're going to have to be well-drilled, disciplined, hard-working. Um, so, to put four past them, three past them in the first 15 minutes was, you know, exceptional performance and how we continued it as well into the second half, you know, won the second half as well. So, no, yeah. you know, across the board, nines out of tens, it's really, really good day at Villa Park. Hmm. Um, we've had a lot of kind of nice fan interactions at the moment on the podcast and in person so I've had a couple of people talk about the show so for uh, something a little bit different normally we'll have a kind of set kind of routine of I'll talk about this and we'll talk about this and we'll have a little bit of chat off air we'll go off the comments today and I can't see the YouTube comments for some reason on the tab on the right hand side so I'll, I'll open that in a new tab in a second but um, we'll get a bit of filler so people can drop talking points through so if you want us to talk about McGinn or Dendonka or Louise or whoever it is Flash up a comment or a question, and we'll kind of go through the show by the fans' agenda. Try something a little bit different. Uh, like I said, a few people came up to me today talking about the Gerard Out podcast and how much I enjoyed it. And, and like I said, that kind of release of okay, that's over now. It's a fresh start. It's, a, it's a, you know the beginning of a new era, uh, and how much I enjoyed that show, which was lovely. Had a lot of nice comments on on um, social media as well, on DMs and YouTube comments. But <laughs> it's kind of two various guises. One. Stu Greenhouse stuff, people tweeting things about that and, and sending me messages saying, oh, Stu Greenhouse, get him in and kind of getting on board with the like the silliness of, of the podcast. But also a couple of podcast uh, comments on the last show that you were on, John, kind of saying how much you've improved, how confident you seem now on, on the show, how you're going to go on to be one of the best journalists of our generation. And I, just thought, I sent them to you going, they're not, I mean, as much as that kind of sounds like we're getting carried away, they're nice, positive comments to get. And we've done these before where people are saying nasty things about you and that's about us all. And that isn't nice. So when someone says something nice, it's nice to flag it and appreciate it. So, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of why we do it. You know, we want to bring good content to the table and obviously we can't nail it every time. But once we do, um, you know, to get nice comments and nice feedback, it gives you that extra boost in it. So, yeah, keep mm-hmm. them coming. If we are doing a good job. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, YouTube comments not not showing for me for some reason. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll try our best yeah, with this. Maybe we'll just have to stick to Facebook. Yeah, maybe Facebook comments will will feed the show instead. Um, let's talk about Aaron Danks first of all. I mean, an anagram for Stu Greenhouse all along. I'm only joking. Um, yeah, just comes out of nowhere. Been at the club a, a little while, obviously coming as a coach. Been a coach for for a long, long time. Um, pre-match media stuff about you know having having um, family in, in the stadium and, and fans and being a local lad and all those kind of things. And I don't know how best to, to wear this and we'll try and work it out as we go through. But it's almost less about what Aaron Danks has done because we've had two training sessions since then or two days at least, a recovery session after Fulham on Friday and a, and a session on Saturday, I, I would presume. No press conferences or anything to, to kind of distract us with. 
So it's not that Aaron Danks has suddenly made us this brilliant team overnight because he's not had the time to do that. It's almost what Gerard wasn't doing that was the difference. That this, I mean, obviously it's tweaked the system. It's a four-two-three-one instead of the the rigid, boring, narrow four-three-three. Obviously, that is a tweak. That is a change. The personnel dropping begin, which again we'll talk about in a sec. But it's almost that kind of letting the handbrake off that Gerald must have been having because, again, we'll talk about it as we go. But like the closing down and the pressing and stuff like that's not something they've been coached to do. Like in the last two days, like, oh, you've got to do this, you got to do that. It's almost like they were being told not to do that before, which which feels and seems absolutely bizarre because. Obviously, we scored early in that, that you know, in the first minute, and that does change it. And the confidence does play a factor. But that was a totally different performance from Villa that we've seen there. And even in the best under Gerard, some of the good wins that we've had in this time, you know, three 0 against Leeds and the four against Southampton, I still feel like today was a better win than any of Gerard's stuff. Yeah, I agree. I, as I mentioned earlier, it, the four goals was nice, and that was almost because we had so much confidence in the final third, and we were playing in that you know system that we all know that suits us so well. But it was the organisation that really got me. The, we were so well drilled. We were, you know, off the ball really good, on the ball really good. Dendonka and Louise, the, that that pivot sort of holding between, you know, Buendia mm-hmm. moving forward and the Wingers who were, as I mentioned, really confident as well. Um, it all worked really nicely, and it all sort of. We did get those goals when we were on a high almost straight away. I mentioned uh, to the people I sit next to when Brentford turned us, you almost thought that was almost an advantage to us in a way, although it was booed because you want to play at the halt in the second half. You felt that sort of energy in the stadium before the game um, yeah. because we had positive sort, you know, because Gerard had gone and there was that sort of newfound energy, as I mentioned. Now that we're kicking against the halt end in the first sort of, was it the first 10? 10, 15 minutes that we got the three goals in, it almost works in our favour, um, is what I thought. Took the ball in. Yeah, basically. And by 3 0, as you mentioned, the game is over. And, you know, most Villa fans won't, wouldn't have believed it, but Frank said, I think it was basically impossible to come back from that because Brentford mm-hmm. aren't a free scoring team themselves. And they've been on the end of a few uh, hidings this season where I think uh, Newcastle put five past them, I think, at St. James's. But no, mm-hmm. excellent performance. Um, and as you mentioned, I think a lot what Gerard sort of wanted to bring to the table, you couldn't see what was going on. And it's just bizarre how two days later, or how many days it was since Fulham, three days, we're all of a sudden a team that we're supposed to be and all the players are playing nines out of tens. It, for, for, for a manager just to leave and we get that sort of reaction, it, it doesn't quite, you know, it, it doesn't reflect well on Jared, you know, to a yeah, point. Really we don't want to... It's embarrassing, I think. We don't want to, yeah, we don't want to, you know, sort of hark on about it, but... I, it's just bizarre how we can flip like that. You, you, like you look at Leeds losing three two to Fulham today, and they're having a shocker. How could, how can that team not score against ten men in the second half of that game? How can we not beat mm. Nottingham Forest? Or, although they beat uh, Liverpool at that point in the season, anyway, they were, you know they they could have been on on the end of a hiding against most teams. So it's it's just bizarre. But I think I almost want to draw a line under it and let's move on. Let's take this result and carry on with the season and forget what's just happened in the last you know couple of months but it is strange to see our team can flick like that and mm. I was questioning do we have the players we're in a relegation yeah, yeah. fight at the moment have they got the sort of attitude for it I think you know at the moment you you look at some of the players that we have and you might have questioned that but um, no the sort of the fight that they showed today and and the sort of finesse that they played with too it's you know really really positive um, performance and obviously the four goals and the result goes with it but yeah for me the performance was sort of that's what I wanted to see from the game hmm. I'll just rewind a little bit to what you said about ch- switching halves again it's booed me and my dad always say oh, whenever this happens we'll, we'll seem to lose or if, yeah. you know, it feels like that it's, it's not what you want to be doing I did wonder afterwards though whether obviously Martinez was captain's day he's the goalkeeper the sun was on the whole tens goal in the first half and, and a little bit of the second. So I wonder whether it was actually Martinez won the toss and opted to change it just to not be playing with the sun in his eyes, potentially. Just as something different because obviously he's a goalkeeper. Maybe an outfield player wouldn't even think of that. So I wouldn't think to switch. But again, just a guess. I don't, I'm not sure. But I thought that was semi-interesting in my own head that we played not with the sun in our eyes in the first half and Brentford's keeper did have to do that. Um, just on Aaron Danks quickly. Again, some kind of level of frustration here for me that... We've had like a new manager bounce without a new manager, just an existing member of staff that was already there. And you think, it was like Aaron Danks like, sat at the back of the classroom while Joe was talking, thinking, hmm, I won't do this, I won't do that, I won't play him again, I'd switch formation, I'd do this. Like He's got this idea in his mind, maybe throughout the whole season, questioning Gerard in his own head, thinking, well, if I was in charge, I'd do this. And then he suddenly gets a yeah. go at the gig 
and absolutely puts Gerard's performances to shame, to be honest. And like I said at the start, there might be some recency bias in this a little bit. Even Gerard's best wins didn't feel as good as that performance did today. I don't know whether, I mean, again, I can only see 50% of the comments here. I don't know whether the Facebook audience or whether you agree with me, but that felt like a, a, a kind of villa that we've not seen since, I saw some say it was our best performance since we got promoted. Now, I'd argue probably the Liverpool 7-2 is, is the best performance, but one that we've probably seen in the flesh at a full Villa Park since we got promoted. That's probably one of the best games we've played. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Whenever we would win under Gerard again, at least this season and parts in last season, apart from the little run that we had, it was always a, it was kind of a close run thing, apart from those leads and that uh, Southampton game. But it's just, yeah, I don't know, you want to follow it up. For this game alone, I know we're only assessing it, but you don't want to get too carried away. Uh, but I think the manner in we did it, because everyone was so, you know, nine out of tens across the board. The system mm. that we played, I think everyone in the stadium or most Villa fans wants us to see that four-two-three-one system because it brings the best out of our creative players. And we know because we have so much quality going forward, if we can unlock a Buendia or, a, I know we started on the bench, but Coutinho, Leon Bailey was excellent today. If you can get the best mm. out of those players, the rest of the team can sort of fit behind it because we do have those hard-working players and players who are tactically astute because they're because they played, uh, you know, international football. Dendonka plays for Belgium. Louise, we know, plays for Brazil. He, three bids for Arsenal in the in the in the, in uh, the end of the summer window. So we know we've got top players, but it's getting the best out of them. And Gerard was sort of hell bent on making this four three three work with attacking fullbacks. And then in his last game, he takes out Matty Cash to bring in Conte, who's a centre half. It's just, it, none of it made sense. Really mm-hmm. didn't. And then now we're looking. Now we're looking like a team that that, that, that should be feared because you've won four 0 and maybe a lot of neutrals didn't watch us because we weren't on on live TV. But refreshing your phone, they must have been thinking, oh, you know, Villa three 0 up in fifteen minutes. That's some that's some going, especially as I mentioned against a Brentford team that uh, that's what they're known for. They're known for the hard work, and especially against Villa, I don't think they've I don't think they've lost to us have they since like, since we got yeah, relegated to the Champions back in sixteen. Yeah, we've played them, um, I don't know, seven or eight times or whatever it would be now over since we got uh, relegated. Obviously, three seasons in the Championship playing them twice a season last year and then this. Um, draw, loss, draw, loss, draw, loss, draw, loss was the pattern all the way through till today. Um, so finally, a win to break the record. Our first win against them since something like 1953. Obviously, we didn't play them between 1953 and 2016 or whatever, but again, yeah, mad stat there. Um, comment from Ross, probably one of our, our first talking points. The brave choice of formation, changing it. Um, and Ian says, stick to the same team and formation for the next game. And when the team news dropped through at, at 1pm, again, the clamour kind of for 4-2-3-1 feels pretty evident from fans through through a long period of time now. The 4 3 didn't work, didn't quite suit the players. It's more of a flat back four rather than this attacking fullback kind of nonsense. John McGinn dropping to cover a fullback. It's just none of that seemed to make sense. And as much as we're you know, filling Aaron Danks with praise and he, he rightly deserves it, He's not invented the wheel today. He's put players in their better positions, given them a bit of confidence. I don't know what the team talk would have been like, but kind of took the shackles off a little bit. And there was that energy, there was that desire, that work rate, and sort of a lot of talk about whether the players have, you know, were they playing for Gerard? Were they kind of throwing it in? You know, we were saying if Gerard sticks around, we'll be relegated. What? Or maybe these players aren't very good. I think what today's told me, and again, it's an isolated 90-minute performance, although a performance that we actually played for 90 minutes for the first time in a long time, instead of just playing for a half and then being crap for a half. Um, but what that performance has shown is that with a good coach and somebody who knows what they're doing, this squad is, is a top 10 side this season. Like This season isn't a write-off because when, obviously we're not a million miles away. Nobody's cut off adrift at this point. A good coach will get stuff out of these players and Gerard couldn't. As much as we don't want to talk about Gerard too much, you do wonder what the hell were we doing before because the players yeah. look like different players and the following game was three days ago. So how does that work? I know. It, it is a relevant point mentioning that Gerard couldn't get the best out of his players. And again, I was I was wondering if we bought, what have we bought and where are we? Are these players good enough um, to keep us in the league? Because it was because it was that bad. And what we were seeing over the course of months was was a team that you didn't know what formation they were playing, what we're trying to do with the ball, off the ball, we looked poor, and we went to back to basics. Mm-hmm. There was no strategy and whatever Gerald was trying to implement, there, I don't know what it was, but it didn't work. Um, again, let's just draw a line in that and, and move forward. But no, I think the 43, someone mentioned it was brave, uh, possibly brave to change it because the players have been in the formation that you know, is in that system for months. Um, mm-hmm. But we all know that's 
going to get the best out of a, a, a Buendir in that number 10 role. Bailey playing off a flank with players around him so he's not so isolated. Uh, mm-hmm. Ollie Watkins good as well. But those two sitters for me, that was what was so important. It lets Louise have a bit of freedom. Then Don, can we haven't had that big presence in the middle of the pitch for, I don't know, years probably. Um Obviously, Kamara's injured at the moment, who can do a similar role, but I thought Dendonka was excellent. And then the back four was obviously good too. We didn't give them, a, uh, apart from a couple of chances, I think it was in the second half. But no, it's just, just an excellent performance. And yeah, I'm not too sure where uh, where Gerard stands after all of that, because again, it's just clear evidence that whatever he was trying to do, it didn't work. And again, I'm not too sure why he was so stubborn on playing a certain system and... It's, Mind, mind-boggling, really, and the mm. way that we've played today, it kind of just proves that those players are capable, and that again, a coach that might come in uh, in the coming weeks, they've got something to work with. And it's yeah, I kind of mentioned when Suarez left against Fulham, I think he was probably so annoyed because that group of players looked really poor, and we were on the end of a hiding against a newly promoted team. But then mm. a couple of days later, we played Brentford team who are you know decent. Um, and we've made them look, you know, really, really average there. So clearly, we do have the squad and the players capable of, of um, you know, at least making that top ten bid. And that's without Kamara. That's without Carlos. Hmm. And the bench really good as well. Who we brought on? Um, Coutinho, Samson. Made five subs for the first time as well, I think. Which again, yeah, like nice. you always look at our squad and think there's a there's a good bit of depth there. There are options, but we've only ever made three subs yeah. all season, I think. I'll, and it clearly wasn't working, so we should have been making five. Whereas today, it was almost a little bit like, well, we're falling it up, so go on, Cameron Archer, go and have a run out. You might as well see if you can make it five. McGinn, McGinn and Ramsey on the bench as well. You kind of forget to mention, you forget McGinn wasn't playing, you forget Ramsey wasn't playing. These are all options that can come in either off the bench or for the next game. There's, the Premier League's so detailed and, uh, you know, there's so much quality in it this, uh, at the moment. You can flick through formations at, at any point for any of the game, in-game, different patterns, you know, different changes. You mm. really do need that squad and um, and we've got it as, as today's you know, proven. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about McGinn and Ramsey a little bit later. There's a couple of talking points from, I mean, everything kind of steam, um, stems from team news, doesn't it? Because the decisions made there are talking points for afterwards. I also thought it was interesting that whenever Ollie Watkins has played wide for us, it's been off the left. And Bailey's always played on the right hand side. Yet again, Aaron Danks comes in and goes, Actually, you know what? Leon Bailey on the left, Ollie Watkins on the right. For the most part, that's what it was. And again, they yeah. looked in their most effective positions on those sides. So again, you just wonder is that their preferred position? Or is this Aaron Danks thinking, Oh, I need to try something different? Or was was did Stephen Gerald even bother to find out whether they preferred to play on the opposite sides? Again, it just seems such a basic thing that whenever those those two do play wide under Gerard. They played on the opposite side of the way that Aaron Danks has put them out. And now we're sat here going, that's probably Leon Bailey's best performance in a Villa shirt. He's playing on the wrong side yeah. the whole time. That's why. True. But that, I mean, as we know, though, he likes to cut in on, on, the, on his left for Bayer Leverkusen. He was mainly playing down the right. Watkins, when he first came in as a professional, was playing off the left. So that, in a way, it's like, oh, everyone wanted 4 3 1, and you just kind of drop the players in. Um, but no, Danks did have that subtle tactical tweak to put. That Watkins did switch right. well, of course, but for the for the majority, they were on those yeah. sides. But that's not something that I would have expected him to do, and I would have questioned it, to be honest, if you told me mm. that before the start of the game, and it paid off. So credit where it's due. I don't. I wouldn't have done that, and I don't think many of the Villa fans would have as well, because it makes sense for Watkins and Bailey to to be inverted and come inside, because that's what they want to do. They want to score goals. Um, mm. But now every time we sort of counter attacked, it would be Bailey coming in and taking the ball off his left. You know, I think our second goal. Coming through that one, Ashley Young with a good ball, uh, Bailey could just sweep mm. across the Danny Ings. That's maybe Watkins, he's cutting inside and it's a, little, it's, it's a bit messy. So it's um, no credit to Danks and Cutler and, and, and the rest of the team. I think they had a massive job bringing the players back, you know, to a, to a sort of mental state where they can carry on because they've just been booed up against Fulham, they've been battered and they've only won two games all season. But then it was another thing to go uh, tactically against Thomas Frank, who we know, Villa, um, the Villa board admire as well. So that sort of knocked him out of the running, I presume. Um, yeah, I don't want him anymore. <laughs> Thomas Frank just failed his Villa job audition there, didn't he? have to do. No, that was, that, no, that was the real thing. You just didn't want the Villa jobs. So I oh, forget it. Let's not play today, lads. I don't want to move to Villa. Uh, Dabba, like if it was him, let's forget appointing Thomas Frank. Let's appoint who Brentford will replace Thomas Frank with because Brentford seems to do everything right that whoever they replace him with would be better than Thomas Frank anyway. Um, 
Yeah, so that's one talking point out of the way with the, the, the wide players. Again, Leon Bailey thought it was his best game for us. Some of the, some of the little moments during the game, we just think, yeah, this is why we're not seeing this before. And again, that's what the frustration comes back to that these players are capable of a good performance. So, what the hell has been happening for the last, I mean, for the whole of this calendar year, effectively? Um, and I don't know whether it was a case of not playing for Gerard, but they were playing in the system they clearly didn't enjoy and weren't comfortable with because today they've switched system and it looked a, a lot better, a lot cleaner. Like we said, scoring early is obviously great for confidence and it's a confidence game. But again, things like work rate and desire looked much more improved than we've seen all season. Uh, the other big probably talking point is McGinn and Ramsey dropping them, dropping the captain for the first time. I think he's played something like the, I think he started something like the last 29 games in a row or something. I saw um, pre-match and there were people in the comments saying things like, oh, he should have been dropped 25 games ago or 20 games ago or whatever, which, yeah, whatever you think of John McGinn. But that's made been been made a more difficult decision this season because he's been captain. Stephen George kind of put him on that pedestal of you're the captain now, and said oh, that doesn't make him undroppable. But it kind of did because he probably should have been dropped earlier in the season in the eleventh game. He's been subbed off for three or four games in a row, but he doesn't fit in a four-two-three-one unless he's playing in maybe the number ten role or, or further forward than the two sitting anyway. But that's Brendier's role or Coutinho's role, so I struggle to see where. John McGinn fits into that as the captain, which is a little bit bizarre. Um, but again, not reinventing the wheel in terms of from from Danks in terms of the the formation switch and the personnel, but having that the the stones to go. Yeah, I'm dropping the captain. I kind of respect that to be honest, and it's paid yeah. off because we've won four 0 Yeah, and it was to the benefit of the team. And let's get it clear: John McGinn doesn't turn a bad player overnight or over the course of a couple of no, months. Of course. Like, we know. What- we know what John McGinn can give us uh, and he was playing in the system and in the position and the role that didn't suit him whatsoever and then he was given that captain armband as well so that probably put pressure on him there was probably a couple of games where John McGinn probably thought and I'm not saying he wanted to be dropped but take me out of the firing line a little bit maybe like today yeah. and he could be on the bench all the time but today was we needed to go back to that sorry use the system that we used today and it's clearly uh, had its rewards. Then Don Quinn Louise, it's all over the comments. Like as a pair, they were excellent. Oof. So John McGinn doesn't fit in that. Um, you're right. There's a fly or like a daddy long legs or something flying around. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but no, and then uh, McGinn, uh, sorry, you've got the two uh, holding players there. And then you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's a... yeah, this is mad. Um, and then Wendy is a 10. So you have the energy, you have everything that John McGinn can give you, but in a, but in a system and, and, and in a shape mm. that, that you don't uh, need to sort of, you know, be of the deficit of the team necessarily. And then you, you can bring him off the bench when Dendonka gets tired. And, and again, that worked. Um, but from the off, we just needed that. And credit to Danks. He has, as you mentioned, he's got the sort of um, the capability to say to McGinn, I know you're the captain, but I'm going to drop you for this one. And it's a shame we got leaked out. And I don't know who by, I think that, that's obviously a problem itself. Um, yeah, not, not that at all. No, 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 no. Um, that was a big problem. And coming into the game, there was a bit of negativity about that because, you know, there's a reason why that's happened. Um, but no, uh, McGinn wasn't missed in in the way that we played. So I sort of forgot he was there, but that's not a slight on McGinn. It's just simply that you need a squad of players to play each and every game differently because each opponent gives you different threats. And today was mm. a day that we needed that sort of pivot as a two. And again, I to mention on Buendia, I thought he was excellent. When he came off, we missed that energy. We missed that sort of press yeah, with surroundings yeah, yeah. and Watkins. He was just buzzing about all the time. Obviously, we know his quality on the ball. Uh, but there was, a, I think he made like two or three tackles in a row at one point in the second half. That's something that you see from John McGinn. So, yeah, mm. while we didn't miss McGinn, we know what he's going to give us throughout the season. Uh, and it was about time that he sort of, you know, took a step back, take, take him out the firing line. And when he came on as well, I thought it was really nice that the Holt started singing his name too. You know, we're fully behind yeah. him. So, yeah. Next point uh, from, from Colin. I really like the fact that they sang McGinn's name when he came on again. Easier to do when you're 3-0 up or 4-0 up at that point. Again, same for Ramsey. It's all a nice positive atmosphere, which is obviously what we want. Um, if John McGinn's coming on at 1-0 and it's a more nervous game and, and Dendonka's playing well and McGinn comes on for him, you might think, mm, not quite sure about that, but the game is won by then. So it's nice to kind of just go, right, go and play this last half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever it was. There is no pressure on you. And I think McGinn did okay. thought Ramsey come on and, and played played all right as well. The moments where he kind of drive forward and did, did what we know he can do. Um, but you do lose a little bit of that kind of impetus with five subs to an extent. But, but again, the game's won, so I don't want to read too much into it. But Coutinho wasn't 
as good as Buendia was. McGinn and Ramsey wasn't as good as uh, Dendonka was and whoever else came off. Um, but yeah, it's kind of by the bar, we've won the game. Um, but I just thought, yeah, interesting from from Danks that, who again, has been sat there this whole time thinking his own little things and then comes in and gets a chance and switches up, drops the captain, wins 4-0, goes home and goes, yeah, happy days. <laughs> Fair play to him. Um, one on the atmosphere quickly for Matthew John. Atmosphere was unreal today and again, how good was Ashley Young setting the example? And um, we talked a little bit about Ash Young, me and my dad on the way there, about you know, in the kind of poorer performances that Ash Young's been our best player, a 37-year-old who's been at the club once before and left and come back. I mean, if that's the standard, how far we've fallen. Um, but obviously, Young's been been really good. If I was a player that was 23, 25, 27, watching Ashley Young come in and, and rip it up being the best player at 37, I'd be thinking, Christ, I need to talk my game here because I'm being outdone by somebody 10 years my senior. Um, but he does set the example and he does the kind of dark art side of the game well as well. And we'll talk about the defence a, a little bit now, I suppose, because again, we're jumping all over the place here. Another clean sheet is very important. Good for Emi Martinez, his sleep schedule as well to get get 40 winks for him. Um, Ashley Young, again, probably one of the standout players, even in a 4-0 four, four win when we play well. Obviously, going forward, man of the match options are, are, are plenty there. Defensively, and what he offered going forward as well. Ashley Young's probably, again, a standout for man of the match there in a 4-0 win, which is crazy at 37 years old. I know. Yeah, he was again. He didn't. He didn't put a foot wrong, and neither did you know, sort of any player on the pitch today. But he just stands out, and he he does everything so right. And it's his little fist bumps to the halt as well, and and then the lower mm. trinity. He just gets it, and he, he gets the crowd. Mm. He's whipping them up all afternoon, and yeah, he, again setting the example. But as a thirty-seven-year-old doing that, I think as you mentioned, um, he knows that if he's playing at the top of his game, everyone else is looking at him, thinking, "Okay, well, I have to be on my game." Because as you mentioned, it's a thirty-seven, Ashley Young. It's not. You know, prime Ashley Young, and, mm. and we, we know we know how good he was back then. But yeah, it it sets that example, and that's exactly what you need. We I honestly feel like we have leaders all over the place in terms of Tyra Mings, who we know what is a natural leader himself. Emmy Martinez is a natural leader. John McGinn can lead. Um, Danny Ings is experienced. We have them everywhere. I don't think that captain's armband needs to be a thing of you know oh, who's got it. That's why I think Emmy Martinez should be captain because there's no sort of responsibility yeah. on someone's shoulders. But we know who the leaders are in the team. We don't need to make a big thing of it. And I feel like the whole passing it along to different players and then taking Mings out and he's not even a vice captain and making Carlos a vice captain. Uh, there's just no need. Let's just, yeah. you know. There's a problem that know. didn't exist. It became a problem yeah. because Stephen Gerrard created it as a problem. Crazy. Yeah. And you would have thought that Gerrard, who again is clearly a natural leader himself, would have would have um, been able to spot that and, and, and not not. You know, made it himself, but but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe in the summer there's a decision to make, to, be, uh, to be made there. But today, I think it definitely showed that Martinez was captain. You had leaders across the pitch, and everyone knew their roles, and it was a team effort. And that that was mm. the sort of key to you know to win to win four 0 against Brentford. You know, everyone's got to be on song, and everyone's got to be putting nines out of tens. And Ashley Young, for the play that he is, he set that he set that standard playing playing at left back. So no, another you know uh, top performance from him. I'm just googling Ashley's player ratings because you mentioned about a lot of kind of nine out of tens performances this afternoon. So just a quick scan of what what Ash gave them. Um, lesser than nine out of tens. <laughs> Martina seven, Cash seven, Konza seven, Mings eight, Young eight, Dendonka eight, Louise eight, Leon Bailey nine, Man of the Match, Buendia eight, Watkins eight, Ings eight. Um, yeah, I'll maybe chuck to a couple more uh, higher than that, but. Yeah, every opinion is respected uh, and you know, there was a couple of comments earlier on about kind of great performance fantastic etc um, but kind of let's not get carried away it's one game or somewhere yeah uh, sure. where that is, which is fair but again it's been sort of a negative season and negative 2022 let's enjoy it for at least Sunday evening and then we'll go back to being serious and gloom tomorrow um, one from Ryan Dendonka's performance was immense and there's ones further down uh, about Dendonka and Louise looking like Rice and Phillips oh, I can't find it lots of love for Dendonka again another man of the match kind of candidate possibly um, I didn't think as much as it's a 4-2-3-1 with two two sixes effectively I can't think well Louise isn't isn't a six I'm not quite sure sure about that Um they weren't deep. They weren't sitting midfielders sat there kind of blocking, you know, back four then it's two and they'll just sit deep and do nothing. There's a lot of times when Dendonka Dun- Dun- himself as the more defensive of the two is venturing forward yeah. and thinking, Christ, what's he doing up there? And you've yeah. got kind of like a back four in Emmy Martinez and then this massive gap because we're on the counter-attack and even the two sixes are, have moved further forward as well. Um, yeah, Dendonka very, very good. Again, you look at it and go, 
why is he not coming earlier? Again, did Stephen Gerald not able to swallow some pride over the, the John McGinn thing? Because again, Dendonka could have come in at any point earlier this season and done a job. And Louise, yeah. again, probably one of his best performances in, in recent times, yeah. really stood out as a, somebody who carried the ball. There was one stage where he's up in kind of the upper third of the pitch in the in the Trinity and sprints all the way back to track back for somebody. I think it goes out for throwing or a corner. And you think, well, that's not coaching. Aaron Danks hasn't made him do that in the last couple of days. It's yeah. almost that Stephen Gerrard was potentially not telling them to do things like that because the work right in the press and being busy and having that energy and closing people down and trying to win the ball back in Brentford's half is something we've not done against anybody this season under Stephen Gerrard. So again, why was that an option? Why weren't we playing like that all season? I'm going to keep coming back to it because it's so frustrating. You mentioned the, uh, I think it was back, it was from a corner, wasn't it? When the run all the way back and the whole team was coming back. So, yeah. Yeah, that was um, Dank said after the game that there was a clip that, that that exact clip they showed the team after the game, and that was the only thing they kind of showed them was that was how you won the game today. It was a team effort, um, mm. and it was a, as a collective. You, you all worked really hard, and that was uh, late in the game as well. Keeping that clean sheet that was really important to all of them. Um, but on Dendonka, no, excellent. Up until we come off, he was my man of the match. To be fair, but it's, you can't really give him because everyone was so good. You can't give him that man of the match because um, he didn't play the last you know, twenty-five minutes or so. But he, uh, he was everywhere. He was just—he was, was excellent. He was—he was nipping in to little challenges here and there. He wasn't, as you mentioned, he wasn't just sitting back. And he's obviously been told him in Louise, um, you know, nipping where you can, be aggressive, be assertive. And when you've got the ball, play with it as well. I always think Louise works better when he's working off someone. He's not sitting deep and trying to look for balls out wide. Can he bounce the ball off someone? Can he, you know, can he get forward and link play? That that's what he does best. That's what he does best with mm-hmm. Wendy and other players and you know, as I mentioned before, Bailey, he needs people to bounce off to. Those are they're all ball playing uh, you know, footballers. So yeah, I think as a two they work really well. Then Donka particularly just because he offered that size, which we hadn't had previously. And he was um yeah, everything he did was brilliant and you would have thought that's what we'd do against Newcastle um, because I don't see how Danks would, would change it unless he goes to a three because Newcastle are obviously a very good team themselves and we're probably going to be, I say, less aggressive, maybe less on the front foot because we're probably going to get picked off if you know if um, if we're not using that home crowd like we mm. did today playing at St. James's. So it, that's a very different game. So I'm, I, I'd be surprised if he did exactly what we did this week, but who knows, maybe having, having a new manager in charge by then, you never know. Um, mm. but on Denmark, really good performance and I think he needed that because as you mentioned he'd come to the club for 12 was it 12 to 15 million or something like that 10, 10 15 million I'm not too sure which sounds cheap but if you're not going to play him it's a, it's a waste of money <laughs> isn't it he was just sitting on the bench with Sanson so under Gerard, he had no opportunity but in that midfield three I was saying it for weeks if Gerard is so adamant that that's what he's playing no one's going to get in over McGinn no one's getting over Jacob Ramsey and that whole midfield spot was Kamara's to lose. And if he's not playing, it's Douglas Louise's. So there was almost it was any other player was just being blocked. There was no way mm-hmm. in almost. Um, but as soon as you play that double pivot, you can you can take things out, you can you can you know manipulate that for the opponent. John McGinn could have, John McGinn or Jacob Ramsey could have played the number ten position if Wendy yeah. wasn't cutting it or if Cotina was unavailable if one of those was playing on the left or the right. John McGinn could mm-hmm. play a little bit further forward like he does for Scotland. Again, I'm not just gonna say that John McGinn is suddenly gonna come be gonna gonna become a world builder overnight if he plays further forward. But again, that's an option that he's not a six, so don't play him in a six. He doesn't quite work in the midfield three because he's doing the same job as Jacob Ramsey, it's one or the other. I don't think both can play. So now if having the Dendonka slash Kamara slash Louise as, as two of those sixes, and Count Chambers could do a role in there if you're absolutely desperate. Again, I'm going to be massively for that, but it's a more suited option than John McGinn, to be honest. That at least frees up John McGinn and Ramsey to be one of the forward options if, if you need them to be as well. And it's just, just more options. I think stubbornness was Gerald's downfall, to be honest. Um, a comment about Danny Ings earlier on, how sharp he was from Barry, how sharp did Ings look today? Uh, again, got a little bit of stick over time, rightly so. Scored goals elsewhere, elsewhere, then comes to Villa and looks a shadow of his former self. Watkins getting picked persistently ahead of him in a one-striker system. Ollie Watkins not taking his chances. You know, bring back Danny Ings, he'll score for us. And then plays first game of the season against Bournemouth as a lone striker. Absolutely nowhere near it. Again, what was, what was Stephen Gerrard doing? Uh, but play the last couple of games with Watkins off the left, Ings up front. Again, just look sharper from, from the off, everybody. And I know the early goal kind of sets you up differently. It throws Brentford's game play out the window a little bit because you're 1-0 down after 60 seconds. VAR, by the way. Checking every Villa goal for something. Don't know what in the stadium. Not seeing it back. 
potential offside or whatever, and you just think, maybe VAR will check it, because I just think, well, Villa can't have scored a leg- legitimate goal. We've got to check it to see if it's legit, first of all. Um, but yeah, Ings looked sharp, took his goal as well, lively, involved in the build-up play as well, linking up very well with Bailey off the off the right, and Watkins, Watkins off the right, Bailey off the left. Um, and yeah, just looks a potent threat again. Um, in terms of the penalty, I don't know where you sit. Ashley Young looks like he was taking it to begin with. I don't know, there was a conversation between those two and Ings took it off him or Young gave it away to Ings. But wow. I thought, why, why isn't Ings taking this? Get, get somebody yeah, I, on more than two goals this season. Danny Ings step I, up and take it. I almost thought that was Ashley. I think he knew what he was doing. He was taking the ball. I think he knew Danny Ings was mm, going to take it. wind up. No, let's just take the heat off Ings. He doesn't want David Rare staring him down for a couple of minutes because they're yeah. checking it. Like, you know I, mean? I, yeah. I think that was almost like a... He, he, I don't think there was a conversation. He almost just turned around and gave ball, the ball to Ings and it was... Uh, a simple job, so I, I, I'd, I'd almost put that on to um, not dark arts, but just just a uh, you know good uh, good thinking from Ashley Young. Let's mm. you know, let's not let them get in Danny Ings' head, I suppose. But yeah, I was, I was a bit shocked that he took the ball straight away. I was thinking, oh, I'm not sure about this, but um, no, he's a good penalty as well. But uh, yeah, a couple of kind of points away from football instances a little bit, just on the strikers, Danny Ings um, coming out with uh, a supporter wearing. Headphones. I don't know what the what you know what that was for. Loud noises and overstimulation or whatever. Danning's also wearing a pair of headphones with the the mascot as well. as like a nice touch of you know, you're wearing them, I'll wear them. We'll do this together. I thought that was really a nice classy thing from from Ings to do. Um, yeah. And also Watkins at the end again wasn't on TV, so I don't know whether it'll be seen anywhere. But he's got a relationship with a Brent, Brentford fan, hasn't he? A, a young kid. Um, that he's had photos with and just given shirts to and stuff. And I don't know whether it was him because obviously I'm a million miles away. But there was a kid and a parent waving at him, really jumping up and down at Ollie Watkins, and he ran all the way over, had a chat, had a photo, and, and stuff like that. So again, yeah, I assume that was the same kid as a Brentford fan. I've not yeah, seen it anywhere since, but again, just nice little yeah. moments. And yeah. these things are always nice like, when you've won because you can pick out these little things and go, ah. Oh, just nice positive stuff to talk about instead. Instead of just moaning about Steven Gerrard or systems or formations, we've won a game, played well. There's a nice little kind of nice community feel about it all with, with those little side things as well. So, yeah, nice that was. The Danny Ings, uh, the, the mascot is where I think he plays for the All Ability Counts team. And then ah, right. where well, the earphone, earphones, um, I presume Ings chose to wear them as well. So that was a really good touch. Mm. Um, as you say, it's just like positive things. It's just crazy how these, th- you know, where we were last week to where we are now, there's a, just a really good vibe about the place. Mm, so yeah. we really need to, you know, kick on and um and credit to the credit to the club for, you know, for the atmosphere that they built as well today. Mm. Uh, we need, do need to talk about Aaron Danks and his future in, in a sec. But there's a few comments earlier about Austin McPhee and kind of like finally we've done something positive from a set piece. We've obviously kept a clean sheet as well, so we've defended our set pieces in instances that they happen as well. Um. Probably, I don't know, unfair stick for Austin McPhee in recent weeks. But again, I feel like we've not tried anything creative like that for a while. So, I did, again, I don't know whether that was stifled by Stephen Gerald potentially. Of, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to get Douglas Lewis to shoot from every corner instead. That's our tactic. But the first game that Stephen Gerald isn't there, we pull out a nice free kick corner routine that we score from. And again, little moments. Emmy Martinez runs straight over to the dugout and hugs Austin McPhee. And then so does Ashley Young as he runs back from the celebration as well. So, clearly, something they've worked on with them. Um, but yeah, just again, nice to see. And I feel like I've said it again a lot of times in this podcast, but again, lovely to see little things like that working. And he's a set-piece coach. I expect us to do better from set-pieces because you cannot be in a game and get a free kick or corner and score it and win. It's such a simple thing. Football is a simple game. How many times have we seen a free kick or a corner, hit the wall or hit the first man? And you think, what a waste. So a nice training ground routine coming off in the first seven or eight minutes of the game. Lovely stuff. Yeah, uh, Frank credited credited it straight away after the game as well. They're very much very much into their set pieces and the, and the mm. long throws and different things as well, aren't they, Brentford? You can tell that because they're clearly very much uh, data-driven as, as a club. Um, so that was the first thing he said about Villa. He said, oh, really good set piece in the first couple of minutes. Um, yeah, fair play to Austin McPhee. Um, he does work very hard on the set pieces behind the scenes. Uh, he, he gets a lot out of the players and he gets buy from the players as well because we do try things and oftentimes it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, you forget about it two minutes later. But when one does go in, um, we're probably going to be talking about it for a few more weeks because if I don't know if we have another drive driver and we'll be coming back to this one and saying, oh, but we but we, but we know we can um, score from corners and set pieces and catch opponents out, and we do try most things, you know, every um, every game that we play. And the Louise one went at the post. That mm, I think, yeah, I think it was going in. I think David Ryde just literally 
scratched it out the air. Oh, did it? On the replay, yeah, it was really good oh, nice. He's he's not big for a goalkeeper, is he, David Ross? I'm surprised that we didn't do that more often. He, yeah, good keeper though. Yeah, he's a good keeper, but he's only six foot. I say only six foot. Um, I wish I was only six foot. <laughs> five foot seven, I am. But no, really good. Dank said after game two, it was perfect for the for the coaching team and probably confidence for them. Obviously, a 4 win for, for Danks is good, but Cutler had his clean sheet. Mm. He had his set-piece goal, so everything about the performance was almost perfect. It was it was too good. Like When Mbwemo missed that open goal, you must have thought, yep, Today's our day, sort of thing. So almost, almost the total opposite of Fulham, where everything went wrong. There, red card, an own goal, no goals. Three yeah, days just sucking. Three yeah. days later, everything goes right. You win a penalty. VAR doesn't intervene. You score four goals. You keep a clean sheet. You score from a set piece. It's two, two total opposite games in three, three or four days. It, it's mad what the turnarounds is. And we said earlier about this new manager bounce without actually having a, a new manager or new permanent manager anyway. Darren Danks acting as an interim or a caretaker or whatever the, the actual. Um, role has been named as what happens with Aaron Danks now because mm. we were talked last uh, well, I was going to say last week like two days ago about what happens next because I always felt like they, they wouldn't want to get rid of Steven Gerrard maybe at all but they wouldn't want to do it until the World Cup break because this nice convenient four or five week period let's do it then so now they've sacked him early earlier than that has that kind of accelerated their managerial search can they get who they wanted does it all bring it forward now are they going to panic are they going to rush are they going to appoint potentially the wrong man because they're doing it sooner than they would like to um, Aaron Danks winning his first game 4-0 buys them an extra week of thinking time I assume at the very least because if Aaron Danks had lost today we'd have been going okay still not working still not quite right let's get a manager in quick another big game at Newcastle hurry up let's sort this out yeah. I now feel like and again feel free to disagree with me you and, and people watching if Aaron Danks took charge of Aston Villa against Newcastle next Saturday, I'd be fully on board with that. Because uh, we played well. It was the best performance of the calendar year. Give him another go. If it gives you more time to sort your managerial, about, uh, managerial appointment out, go with that. I'm yeah. absolutely fine. Yeah, and no one's calling Aaron Danks the next coming of, you know, whoever. And I don't think it, he'd want to be in that position where people are expecting him to, oh, oh, now can we get a result against Newcastle and, oh, do you want the job, you know? It's not like that at all. Aaron Danks is an exceptional coach. He worked for the 21s with England. He worked with company at Andelect. He's not overqualified to be a Premier League manager, but he can be a manager if that's the route he wants to take. So this is an audition for him. And I think when he woke up this morning or when he's been working with the team the last few days, he knows that this is his moment. And fans probably didn't realise who he was up until up until today because he's almost been in the background. He was appointed mm. by the club when Smith came in and obviously not uh, relieved of his duties when Gerard left because... He wasn't part of Gerard's team. And I think someone mentioned in the comments, potentially Gerard might have not excluded the likes of Danks or McPhee or whatnot, but they're not his men. So maybe he didn't have a voice in that changing room. As we've seen today, he's taken out Gerard's captain. He's done his own system. I know he works with the strikers primarily. So potentially that isn't his, you know, it's not his bag to go up to Gerard and say, oh, we must try this and, and whatnot. But as you mentioned, it, it buys us more time. Against Newcastle, that's going to be a really tough game. I think we could have any manager in the world, to be honest with you. And I think going to there, I'd snatch a, snatch a, snatch a hand off for a point right away. Um, beat Spurs only an hour ago. So that'd be they're winning the end. Yeah, if we, if we can compete against them and, and get a point, that's an excellent result. And then you have Man United and Brighton. There's no rush to appoint a manager. The only thing I would say is, clearly the club are trying to appoint a manager. And I say, as soon as possible, we're not rushing it. But if in three weeks we don't have a manager, we've clearly not got who we wanted. So yeah. it, it's it's a sticky situation. At the same time, I'm like, I'm fine with Aaron Danks taking the team because we've just beaten Brentford 4-0. And that's not a fluke. But mm. if in a couple of weeks we don't have someone, then I would have presumed that Ruben Amarim isn't coming. Poch obviously isn't coming. As far as Unless those managers also think, well, I want to wait to the World Cup break. I want I'm more, especially if it's a manager that's still in work. Right. And I might think, well, I want to give another couple of weeks of my time to whoever I'm with at the moment. It is a strange yeah. situation because, again, you don't want to be like Wolves who sack their manager going, oh, we'll appoint someone else. And then all of a sudden go, uh, well, yeah, we'll give it to our uh, this caretaker guy. He can do it for the rest of the year. He's here till 2023. Again, strange club Wolves. I mean, they are in trouble. Yeah, I, um, Wolves, I presume that maybe, I don't know if maybe Lopetegui said to them, maybe after the turn of the year, I'm, I'm ready to come back into management. Maybe yeah, that's maybe. But it, mm. yeah, yeah, Wolves, are, they do their own thing, don't they? They kind of don't follow the sort of norm. But for us, in the next two weeks, if we're not getting close to someone... I'm wondering what we're doing in terms of who's mm. available. Because if it's not, it's not going to be Tuchel. It's probably not going to be Poch. 
Amarin, I'm not too sure on if that's going to happen or not. If it's not those candidates or Emery or something like that, I think I mentioned it in the other podcast, I don't know who we're targeting or who mm. the candidate is unless it's like a, and it won't be, I'm certain, a Sean Dyche or a Benitez or those lot. I don't want any of them. And I'm sure the club don't either. But who's the middle ground? Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, mm. I, I don't know. So that that's probably a bit negative and I want to kind of keep it on my mind for now because we've just won. But I am a bit sort of worried about which direction we're going in, in terms of manager. So as long as Aaron Dance can keep getting performances, you know, you know, give him the job full time. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a strange situation because I'm not sure if they're in no rush to an extent because Aaron Dance has won today and you know, give him Newcastle potentially. Potentially knows Pochettino's free on Tuesday. <laughs> Sign him up. You know what I mean? Like if someone if who they want is available this week, they obviously will sort it. Well, um, I mean, we're just gonna give Aaron Danks games for fun. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that again, I mentioned against Fulham, any manager or anyone watching that game, although they know we've got decent players, they're looking at the group and thinking, Jesus, what is going on there? Because they've just got battered free now by Fulham. But then you flip it three days later and all of a sudden, oh, that's how Villa can play. Like that, That's mm. team got real potential. And I wouldn't mind taking that on because I know that I can take them into the top seven. And that would be a massive achievement in terms of where the club's been in the last 15 years. That's the sort of energy that we want to sort of be building on now. And maybe, yeah. I don't know if Potch has said no or not. I think it's more of a case of, at least what people are saying, um, that he's not willing to go into management just yet. I don't know if it's a straight no and I don't want to sort of... Maybe know, he just wants Christmas at home. <laughs> maybe so but <laughs> if we're watching that team and you know the project that we have I don't know like come on it's like, the budget isn't it they can have, like, whoever is the next manager will be well paid while they're in the job and then get a big payoff if it all goes wrong first of all as, yeah. as they will get at most clubs but they can spend money if they need to and there's an ambitious ownership and they want to get back into Europe. Any manager worth a salt should look at that and go, I want to be the guy to do that, not be wary of, I don't want to go there and mess that up, so I'm just going to kind of keep out of it. Yeah, I think the issues for where an elite manager comes into play, like a Potter and Emery or whoever, they're probably looking at a club and thinking, yeah, you've got good players and yeah, you've got an ambitious project, but have you got a football structure? Where does the mm. power lie? Are these promises that you're going to fulfil? Yeah. It, there's that's the sort of thing but winning against Fulham uh, sorry Brentford 4-0 can we get a result against Newcastle those are the sorts of things that I do think managers would be looking at and thinking oh this team is good there is a lot to work with here and mm. get, look at the bench that we had today look at Kamara and Carlos that are injured you could just drop a couple of players in there that you'd like that's a really good squad there and yeah, yeah which is what we've been saying all along which was what made the Gerard era so frustrating um, there's been a couple of comments in the last few days about will a manager look at Villa being 17th and go oh, I don't fancy that at all and comments here from, from Andy oh there's Les with Villa Sparos <laughs> no not that one Andy after today surely the job looks a bit more attractive and the same thing from somebody else uh, can't find it uh, saying like you know we've won today so it looks more attractive all of a sudden but managers won't just look at the league table and go oh, don't fancy that because it's about the squad it's about the ability of the players that are there the projects the ambition the money the wages transfer budget um, so whole know, package. being 17th yeah. and then winning today won't suddenly make Pochettino go oh, actually you know what I'm going to change my mind that does sound alright because they'll do their due diligence anyway um, but today as I just said I've said a long time about this squad on paper if everyone's on form and you don't get bad injuries and stuff this squad with the right coach should be a top 10 outfit pushing for top 8 whether they actually do it that should be around that ballpark and that, as long the longer the Steven Gerrard era went on the more that comment looked very stupid because a lot of the players weren't putting it in either John McGinn's been poor Ollie Watkins misses chances Tyrings will make a, a mistake here and there and all of a sudden you think well actually maybe these players aren't great maybe we are in a relegation battle and Aaron Danks comes out of nowhere, makes a couple of tweaks, put players in their preferred positions, and all of a sudden you think, oh, you know what? Maybe we can get in the top half again with a, with a decent coach. So anyone worth a salt should hopefully look at us as a good project, like the Newcastle kind of project of heading in the right direction, in the right trajectory, with the money and ambitions that they've got, and think the same of Aston Villa. I want to be the guy to revive that club back up, up to greatness, effectively. Because the next manager will be, I think we worked out to be the 10th, permanent manager since Martin O'Neill left so 12 years or so about right yeah we've got Julio Julio McLeish uh, Lambert Sherwood Remy Gard Dimitrio Bruce Dean Smith Stephen Gerrard Newman so 10 permanent managers since 2010 is it's it's only not quite one a season because Paul Lambert had two or three seasons and so did Dean Smith the rest of them, Stephen Gerrard didn't last a year. Um, 
Martin Matar didn't last a year. God. God didn't last a year. So, who uh, didn't last a year. McLeish lasted just about a year, potentially, but probably not quite. He lasted a season. Um, so that's not, I mean, what do you expect Villa to have done in that time? Chopping changing managers yeah. to that degree is going to get you back to square one every so often and relegation in 2015 as well. So as much as the next appointment has to be right, because always you can say that the next one has to be right or else, it does need to be the one now that is here for two, three, four seasons. And I know managers don't get that time, but they've got to solidify us this season. And first of all, first aim is get us safe because we are still down at the moment. But obviously we're, a couple of wins and we are right around mid-table keep us safe get as close to mid-table as you can next year again maybe another season of being 10th 9th-ish with trying to push for Europe and then the third season of the new manager or the second full season now push for Europe that's probably got to be the, the mini project and obviously as soon as you can do that the better because people will have looked at Eddie Howe and thought well is he the man to take Newcastle to the next step but he did very well last year and then they sit in what is it fourth as yeah, of tonight yeah. with their win today Eddie Howe could be taking Newcastle into Europe this season. So let's not kind of turn our noses up if it isn't Pochettino, Tuchel, whoever, this kind of elite manager. If it's this mid-level, Villas-Boas, Rodgers, Deutsch, at least get behind them and see where, where it can go. If it's Rafa Benitez, uh, less, less keen on that one out of all the options, to be honest. Um, but the next one has got to be here for at least a year to try and do something. That's the first time. Yeah, it has to be the right point anyway because this this is the sort of the new era. If this one goes wrong, then I think there's a big change within the club anyway, and that's another carousel of different you know people coming in and out of the club. And we are on that. You know, I've mentioned before, if you stay stagnant in the Premier League, you're going to go down. Mm. That, we know that's going to happen, like Everton did, and they probably should have gone down last year. Um, that's where we'll be. So we have to push on. Uh, but yeah, tonight I'm just going to enjoy the win and, and not worry about. Uh, any new managers or whatever. Agreed. Or tomorrow morning when I start work at 7am. <laughs> well, I think it'll be Aaron Danks in charge for Newcastle as it stands because yeah. it gives them that extra week's breathing room to, to sort of things it makes, out. It makes sense as well, doesn't it? So With the win, yeah. There's, you know, why, why would change a winning team? So why change a winning manager? <laughs> keep yeah. keep yeah. winning the job for, for the time being. Yeah. Um, I think we'll call it a day there, John. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Thanks for everyone for, for leaving comments. I did scan the YouTube comments in a different tab, but I can't flash them up on screen because... Something's gone wrong this end, but yeah, thank you for for getting involved as always. Hopefully, we've kind of covered most of the things we normally would in a post match show, but it has been a little bit scattergun and all over the place. Letting the the chat decide where we go next, but I think we've left no stone unturned there. Um, so, John, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks everyone for tuning in and, and getting involved. As I said, we'll be back probably maybe for like a midweek Q and A on Tuesday or Wednesday potentially. Um, but if Villa appoint a manager sooner than that, obviously we'll do a, a show about that. Maybe we'll look at the next three candidates or something like that we'll see how it goes and um, if not we'll do like a newcastle preview and all that kind of stuff um so just keep um subscribe to the channel keep your notifications on all those kind of things so you know when our next video comes out uh, thanks for watching enjoy the rest of your weekend for whatever remains and uh yeah we'll see you again soon cheers everyone thank you for listening to claret and blue and aston villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please do let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode but until then up the villa up the villa